0: Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of the Race to Value. This week, we're going to talk about how connecting the health and well being of patients directly to the bottom line isn't just smart business. It's a visionary approach that shows how healthier outcomes can drive healthier profitability. You know, in this journey to value based care, the true race isn't about speed, it's about Putting the patient at the center. It's about forming strategic and transformational partnerships that pave the way for a healthier and more efficient healthcare system. You know, I am so excited to bring to you this week Kyle Wells, Chief Executive Officer and Board Member for Wellvana. Wellvana is a company that provides tools, technology, analytics, and resources for healthcare providers to successfully and seamlessly transition to value-based care. And Kyle is someone that's known internationally. I mean, prior to his role as CEO of Welvana, he was a, a Canadian indoor lacrosse player. He played for the Philadelphia Wings of the National Lacrosse League. He played collegiate lacrosse at Brown University. He was a junior hockey player at Ontario Hockey League. After he left professional sports, he was previously CFO of Intermedics and Smile Direct Club he's a competitive leader with almost two decades of executive experience in managing healthcare companies what you'll find in listening to this interview he's a relentless optimist you know he's someone that is a masterful storyteller at galvanizing and accelerating a, a transition to value-based care through relationships and partnership we had such a great discussion in this interview uh, of course you're going to hear about the big announcement that happened last week with Wellvana partnering with Advent Health to transform healthcare delivery in the state of Florida we talk about health system adoption of value-based payment the primary care landscape we talk about lifestyle medicine we talk about Kyle's personal career journey and what brought him to where he is now as a leader in the value movement uh, we talk a great deal about high-touch primary care, the power of storytelling, the importance of advocacy from both the political side of things, but also the putting the patient first. And we also talk about the investment landscape and the growth of Welvana as a company for the future. This is definitely a company in Welvana that you need to know about. Kyle is someone you need to hear from, and it's a pleasure to bring to you Kyle Wells as he joins us this week on The Race to Value. Kyle, welcome to the Race to Value. It is so amazing to have you on the show this week, and especially at a time when there's such big news. I just I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to first congratulate you on this recent partnership with Advent Health. This announcement hit the healthcare media just a few days ago, and Wellvana is joining forces with Advent Health as an exclusive partner to its primary care network in Florida, and Advent is transitioning its entire primary care network in the state, to value-based care for Medicare and MA patients, and the goal of this partnership, as I understand, is to improve clinical outcomes, lower total cost of care. Implementation is underway. There's a go-live planned in January. In this vision of this partnership, it's to completely redesign primary care. You know, starting with integrated, accessible, affordable, high-touch primary care. That's going to be the linchpin to successful care delivery transformation. There's going to be an emphasis on wellness and prevention over sick care. And as I understand, Wellvana becomes the first value-based care enablement organization in the country to partner with a, a multi-state national health system. And you know this announcement is is especially noteworthy because so many hospitals out there, you know, aren't as committed to value based care you know given the challenging economic environment so Kyle I wanted to you know as we start our conversation I wanted to just see if you could provide some more details on how the partnership between Wellvana and Advent Health will impact care delivery in Florida and what are the key objectives and goals in terms of clinical outcomes and cost of care Yeah
0: absolutely so Advent Health uh, started an evolution just over a year ago Uh, actually, where they redesigned their their primary care network. And they've been working at that, as I said, over over the past year. You know, I think for for us, as we think about the partnership, what it really highlights is just the overall flexibility uh, of our model. You know, every single uh, physician practice is going to be different. Every hospital system uh, is going to be different. I, I think what it highlights overall is the flexibility of our model, right? So as we think about partnering with physicians and hospital systems, There's no two practices that are similar, and and similarly, there's no two hospital systems that are going to be similar. And so as we go to market and we think about building clinically integrated primary care networks across the country, uh, we we take a very flexible approach to how we do that, and we really try and meet the system uh, where they are. So Advent Health redesigned its its primary care network under a a common leadership team over the past year, uh, and we're partnering with them to be an extension of that team. Uh, and really transition it from a legacy fee-for-service-based re- reimbursement model uh, into a value-based care model. That starts uh, directly in Medicare, in Medicare Advantage. Uh, and hopefully over time, we'll transition more broadly to, to other payers as well. Uh, if you think about our role in that, we're, we're an extension of, uh, of their clinical team, right? So we're bringing uh, uh, nurse case managers, high-touch care managers, uh, care coordinators, pharmacists, social workers, coders, a support team on the ground, uh, all of that branded as the practice and really an extension of the practice, right? It, it's really about driving uh, optimal clinical outcomes for patients, you know, doing that in a, uh, in a way that's driving uh, patient satisfaction to very high levels. Uh, and as I said, really, really being an extension uh, of the practice overall.
1: Well, Kyle, this announcement is big news in the world of value-based care, especially as we see health systems across the country that are extremely distressed with expenses growing two times as fast as Medicare payments. And the seismic transformation that's needed for value-based care is seemingly impossible for most of these hospitals and health systems. I mean, they're still reeling from the disruptive impact of the pandemic. They're facing a combination of supply chain disruptions, labor shortages, high inflation, the end of covid relief payments, and most are struggling to deal with staffing and financial challenges that complicate investments in value-based care transformation. Consequently, we only see 10% of hospital revenue tied to risk-based contracts nationally, and only a quarter of surveyed hospital executives feel adequately prepared to deal with the imminent challenges in transitioning to VBC. And Nonetheless, we can look to this pandemic as something that will ultimately accelerate value-based adoption. I mean, health systems can't afford for primary care to be a loss leader anymore, especially for Medicare patients where reimbursement is not so high and the finances are are too precarious and these health systems, you know, I think might be desperate enough at this point maybe to really give value-based care a go. So, you know, Kyle, I, I'd love to get your take on just the The provider landscape uh, from your vantage point nationally, as you're interacting with PCPs and health systems across the country, I mean, what have you learned about health system motivations to adopt value-based care? I mean, how should they be thinking about that dichotomy between having heads and beds in a fee-for-service world versus engaging primary care in a fully concerted effort uh, to pursue VBC success? And then ultimately, are we moving into this new phase in value-based care where it's going to expand beyond just the independent PCPs?
0: Yeah, I think we are, and I, and I think as you said, since you know the pandemic, uh, it's really been an accelerant overall to drive adoption of, of value-based care. As you think about systems more broadly, uh, you know they're they're very low margin, right? Especially over the past several years, with a lot of the issues that systems have been having, uh, likely losing money on Medicare, as you pointed out, given uh, just overall reimbursement levels, have massive staffing issues broadly across the system, uh, and historically, primary care has been a loss leader, right? And every uh, the stats are out there. Every every PCP that a system's employing, they're losing on average two to three hundred thousand dollars per per primary care provider. I think all of that together, uh, along with uh, what's happened since the pandemic, has really put us at a very interesting point in time, where there's much more interest in how do we transition into to to value overall. We saw that with with Advent Health, and we're seeing it with with many others uh, I- as well, you know, around the the country right now. And I think what you know, what? what's ultimately driving that uh, is the opportunity to take a loss leader, as, as I said, in primary care and shift that overall into a profit center, right? So it's not just about um, you know, clinically, how are we driving better outcomes? I would say that's the most important uh, component that we're playing a role in. Uh, but it's also how do, we, how do we have a broader impact across the entire primary care network? And so that means growth as well, right? So as we're partnering with systems to form these larger clinically integrated networks, we're also helping them grow their network as well and bring more primary care providers into the overall system. That could be through an affiliate model or it could be through an employed model, uh, right? And there's, there's flexibility in terms of how we think about that. We might even uh, employ the physicians, right, and align them directly into the system through a clinically integrated network. And so I think flexibility, as I said before, is, is key to that. But the pandemic has really you know, transitioned systems into uh, thinking about this in a much more constructive way than historically.
1: Well, Kyle, I wanted to engage you more on the work that you're doing uh, with Wellvana later on in the interview, but I I now want to talk about your personal career journey to value-based care leadership success. I mean, you've had such an interesting life and our listeners know you as someone that's leading healthcare, you know, you're hyper-focused on population health in our country by accelerating the growth and adoption of value-based care, but your value journey Came about after other varied chapters in your life. I mean, you were once a professional athlete, not knowing this experience would set you up in the corporate arena. And also in your education, you transitioned from a focus on neuroscience to the business of healthcare. And that neuroscience background provided you with a unique perspective that serves you well as a healthcare leader. And, you know, as a leader, you're Relentless optimism amidst change, it uh, in uncertainty, reminds me of that parable of the Chinese farmer and his horse. And you know, for our listeners out there, that's a parable that illustrates the idea that events that initially seem bad or good can lead to unexpected outcomes. I mean, the story harkens back to a time in ancient China where there was this farmer, and uh, he had this perspective of maybe it's bad, maybe it's good. We will see. And you know, his horse runs away, and it comes back with a herd of wild horses. You know, something came, something good came out of an adverse event, but his son rides one of those wild horses, breaks his leg. And because of that injury, his son wasn't conscripted to join other young men in fighting a war that broke out in the region. Again, you know, something good happened from something bad. And, you know, that story. It reminds us in life that we deal with uncertainty and change, and what may appear as an, an unfortunate event at first might lead to positive outcomes, and vice versa. I mean, it's a lesson accepting the impermanence of circumstance and not rushing to label events as inherently good or bad, as the the true consequences often reveal themselves over time. So, you know, Kyle, I wanted to see if you could share with our listeners, a pivotal moment in your life that initially seemed like a setback or a challenge, but ultimately led to a positive outcome? And and how did you, uh, how do you apply that wisdom and that parable, you know, to this nation's journey towards value-based care transformation?
0: Yeah, great, great question. You know, I think, um, you know, there's been so many that certainly uh, along my path have, have shaped me and continue to do that. I think, you know, every single day, uh, we're either you know winning or we're we're learning, and I think the, the the Chinese proverb, as you pointed out, getting into maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. I think is a great example of that. Uh, whether it's been through uh, you know uh, growing up in in sports or professional sports over time or college athletics, uh, and, and certainly on the professional side of my career as well, there's been you know so many highs uh, and, and so many lows, uh, and I think at least for me, what I've learned over time as part of that is. Uh, you know, in isolation, uh, if we're reacting to any of those too positively or too negatively, uh, you know, the ups and downs of that is, is certainly just too much. And as a leader, it's certainly too much for your team. And so at Walvana, we try and take the position of, uh, uh, you know, we can have uh, incredible success, but if we don't execute on that, right, so we could have incredible growth, but if we don't operationalize that, And provide great results for our physician partners for our hospital systems and for their patients then in many ways we're better off not having that growth at all and so we certainly try and celebrate the wins and and learn from the losses uh, but on a personal level and also on a professional level really try and and stay even keeled in that demeanor day to day uh, which i think is just something that i've gained from my experience professionally over the years and uh, having you know incredible highs and incredible lows, but also from my background in in sports as well, and I think it's something. As you play competitive sports, you learn a lot of discipline, you learn a lot of hard work and and preparation, uh, but you also how you also learn how to to deal with losses and come back from them better. And when you're you know when you're winning, uh, learning how to stay there as well, I think is is an incredible skill to learn over time.
1: So, Kyle, with Wellvana, you lead a value-based care enablement company that serves physicians, home health agencies, skilled nursing, health systems in 22 states. It reaches more than 100,000 lives through multiple payers, Medicare Advantage, the ACO REACH model. And since 2021, Wellvana has experienced significant growth raising more than $140 million in capital, deepening its commitment to assuming downside risk for more than 1,000 partner physicians. And the company assumes downside risk for these physician partners through an underwriting program, helping them focus on improving outcomes, and it provides the data-driven technology and the high-touch human engagement that's needed to execute effectively on that risk. And your company is connecting – these healthy outcomes to profitability with your clients, you know, earning strong shared savings from population health improvements and reduced utilization, such as inpatient ED emissions across every market. And I'd love to get your thoughts on how you're partnering with your clients to support them in their progression to capitated risk. I mean, going to full risk and change a provider's life and save patients but it doesn't happen overnight i mean value based care you know to your point earlier you know it's hard work you know just like you know you're playing in competitive sports i mean it requires years of growth and transformation and innovation to earn roi and reap the benefits of improved population health outcomes and the work is so hard because of the people and the resources it requires. I mean, your partners must establish trust in you as a partner in shared risk, and then you must co-create high-touch, relationship-based, tech-enabled models of care that provide the necessary interventions with high-risk populations to truly make a difference in patient outcomes. So, Kyle, can you discuss what high-touch care is and what it means in the move to fee-for-service, to value? I mean, how does Walvana support its clients through high touch care management and care coordination to serve as a true extension to the interdisciplinary care team in the clinic or the health system.
0: Yeah absolutely you know I think at the at the core of it it's behavior change right and in a minute here I'll go through a couple stories of, of what that ultimately means but at the the core of our model it starts with building uh, you know large clinically integrated networks these are primary care networks at the core. That could be through uh, an employed primary care network. It could be through a large partnership, right? Joint venture type partnership. And uh, in both of those cases, wrapping it with an independent affiliated primary care network to really drive scale in the markets that we're going to. And that's really step one, right? Building these large primary care networks. Uh, We then look to wrap that with a specialty network, right? It's about driving the right utilization uh, at the right cost with the right specialist. Uh, and overlaying that with a technology-enabled service to really uh, drive that to happen, right? So it starts with the technology that's aggregating disparate data from from dozens of disparate systems, right? Claims data, clinical data, lab and pharmacy, social determinants information. All of that is about how do we predict the right intervention for the right patient at the right time? And I would say, you know, the technology aspect of that is important, You know, that said, I think healthcare has proven for a long time that technology-only models uh, are not working that well today, right? And that might change over time, but at least in our view, you have to wrap services around that to really drive behavior change uh, for patients and and also for providers. And so based on that, we take a very high-touch model with our physician partners uh, and with our patients. So we try and do a lot of the uh, high-touch care management work, uh, the care coordination work, the pharmacy work. Uh, engaging on social determinants uh, with patients. We do a lot of the coding work, uh, and we embed someone within the practice to help drive behavior change and show providers how they're performing uh, on a day-in and and day-out basis. We're engaging with uh, high-risk patients and creating care plans for them and and ensuring progression against that, that care plan and compliance within that care plan. And I think underlying all of that, it's about driving scale because you know, primary care providers, whether it's a, you know, a hospital system or whether it's an independent PCP, the ability to transition into fully capitated risk, which over time is the only model that's, that's proven to actually work, is, is fully capitated models. It's almost impossible for a doc to do that on their own, right? And that's where we come in not only on the technology and the, the clinical resources as an extension of the practice that we provide. Uh, but also in the actuary and underwriting work to determine who's ready for full risk and who's not ready for full risk yet, uh, and how do we work with those providers to transition them to full risk over time? And so, if you put all you, know, you put all that together, what does it actually uh, drive? It drives to to better patient outcomes, which is ultimately going to lead to higher profitability for uh, our physician partners. And I think at the core of that is patient stories, right? And so, I'll give you a really good example of one. We have a a nurse on our high touch care management team in the community that she was living in, uh, the community was under a boil water notice. Uh, and so they were told to, to not even shower in the community. And this was earlier this year. The The warnings were so serious that the patient was concerned to even drink the tap water, even if it was boiled, right? Didn't, didn't want to drink it even boiled. And so when she had gone to the store, uh, there was no water left, the shelves were completely dry. And uh, she's been in our high touch care management program and engaging with uh, her nurse on a, on a weekly basis. Our nurse actually went out of her own pocket, uh, you know, bought water for the patient, had it delivered to her house, uh, and likely prevented an emergency department visit for dehydration. And, and to me, that's what it's all about, right? It, it's about driving better outcomes for patients, giving them a better experience, keeping patients at home uh, in their house, in, in their bed, Uh, and being financially rewarded for that uh, at the same time. We have so many of those stories that kind of bring it all together uh, and just make it incredibly rewarding what we do day in and day out.
1: Well, Kyle, I love how you brought up that powerful patient story. And, you know, in your leadership, you've been vocal that the most important aspect of of your company is its culture, where you want your physician partners and their patients to feel heard and seen and valued where they renew their trust with the healthcare system and this culture of trust is fostered by an emphasis on the story you know the the story that illuminates that patient experience and i really resonate with your focus on storytelling to galvanize partners and employees and of course the listeners of this podcast on the importance of having a human centered focus that's Foundational to success and a business model for value-based care. I mean, corporate mythology will always take a backseat to the realities faced by providers and patients. But having the intentionality of storytelling with a mission and motion that drives the success of the stories being shaped—that's true power. And these movements that were that we have in our country, including the one to value-based care—I mean, they're led by effective storytelling, and it can revitalize communities of people. It reminds me of that native american proverb tell me the facts and i'll learn tell me the truth and i'll believe but tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever and i can't help but think about how storytelling can awaken the power to win and value-based care just like the one that you shared i mean it's especially important uh in the current state of the big business of healthcare, where we see providers that are overwhelmed they're burned out they're downtrodden they're defeated I mean, the power of the story really has potential to light them up about a future and patient-centered value-based care. So, Kyle, for all the leaders out there in value-based care that are listening to this podcast interview, you know, what would you tell them about how they can harness the power of the story and in recognizing the power of effective storytelling to create change? I mean, what are the kinds of stories that providers need to hear for them to believe in a brighter tomorrow for their profession?
0: Yeah, great question. You know, I think it it goes back to the old saying, right? So, culture eats strategy for breakfast, and we certainly believe that's true. Uh, without the right culture, we're not going to be able to succeed in anything that we do. And so, we start every single town hall uh, across the company with patient stories, and these are are actual stories from our high touch care management team that are having real impact on real patients. And at the end of the day. That's why we're all in this, right? I mean, we've all been sick before. We've all felt the vulnerability that comes with that. We've all seen loved ones uh, that have been sick. And, and I think the, the scariness behind that is real and everyone understands that emotion. So that's what we're trying to connect with, with our team and with our providers is, is showing the real impact on real people that we're, you know, that we're having on a, on a day-to-day basis. You know, we've had a high-touch care manager find an air conditioner for a patient in Tennessee in the middle of the summer likely saved another emergency department visit with that, right? We've had social workers find pet sitters for a cancer patient who needed to be in a, a skilled nursing facility. I mean, the, the the real sort of impact, not only, in a, and those are all sort of social stories that I've shared, we've got similar stories on a clinical basis as well, which are just incredibly uh, empowering. And so we try and show that to our team. We try and show that to our providers. Certainly, from a physician perspective as well, we're using real, you know, real-life case studies of other physicians that have succeeded under our model, uh, and financially are doing significantly better than they were before as well.
1: Well, Kyle, Wilvana has significantly scaled in the last year. I mean, your brand journey reflects an investment in building a differentiated culture that's based on the core values of integrity, dependability, clarity, and advocacy. And these values, as I understand, drive the work of the company and its nurse care managers and high touch market teams that really work side by side with partner physicians to ease the path to value and improve patient outcomes and one of your one of your core values advocacy is something that I wanted to go deeper on i mean your company is investing a lot of time and resources into explaining accountable care and the value of pcps to policymakers and while value based care has the potential to be a bipartisan issue focused on improving outcomes and reducing costs its contentiousness in political cir- circles right now is is rooted in differing ideologies debates about government involvement conflicting interests within the healthcare industry uncertainty about implementation you know economics partisan politics you know the lack of consensus on payment model practice details and all of that I just think if CMMI is going to reach that stated goal of having every Medicare fee for service beneficiary in an accountable care relationship by twenty thirty, you know, if we're going to prevent that collapse of the Medicare trust fund, you know, we have to have bipartisanship and you know, to scale value-based care and we simply need to ensure policy consistency and gain wider public support and incorporate diverse expertise to make the movement scale. And we also need to, encourage care delivery innovation and reduce uncertainty for stakeholders participating in alternative payment models. And we also need to enhance public trust in a very politically polarized climate. So, Kyle, I wanted to see if you could discuss the legislative advocacy work that Wellvana is doing to engage lawmakers to create sustainable and effective healthcare system solutions that prioritize patient outcomes and cost savings. I mean, are there any interesting anecdotes or insights that you can share about advocating for value-based care on Capitol Hill?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think in in our position with the platform that we have I feel like it's a requirement that we need to be there advocating on behalf of, of the broader industry. If, if we don't do it, I'm not sure who else who else will, right? And so we try and partner with uh, others in the industry that are in a similar position to continue to move value-based care forward overall. You know, I think as you look historically, value-based care has never been a partisan issue. It's always had broad sort of bipartisan support. That's changed recently in some ways. I think you've seen some on, on far right and far left kind of change, uh, change tone uh, around some of that overall. But uh, I think in our conversations, what we've realized is the, the broad understanding uh, or the deep understanding of value-based care uh, is really not there. And so we try and spend a lot of time educating what it actually means and highlighting real results, right? So and a good, a good example of that is uh, there's really good data that highlights that you know, fully capitated models work, right? They drive better outcomes. They drive uh, cost savings overall. And I think there's other aspects of, of value-based care that have not worked, right, or have not worked as well. We're trying to spend time not only educating about the facts around that, but also driving uh, adoption to continue to improve the models around that as well, right? If you look at fully capitated models, it's pretty small today. Medicare Advantage, it's sub 10%. You know, Medicare overall, it's the ACO Reach program, uh, which is still pretty small in in the big picture of total. Uh, Medicare fee-for-service lives that are out there today. And so as as we look at those two models, we we continue to focus on advocacy efforts that really drive to changes of those models, right? So for example, how do we get payments sooner to providers? What is the right risk models that providers should be taking? It's impossible for any doc to take risk on, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand lives, right? The math just doesn't work. You could have one or two patients be an outlier and they'll have, you know, they're going to have a bad year as a result of that. And so you need partners like Wolvana to help aggregate providers together and, and move those providers into risk that can take that risk at scale across hundreds of thousands of, of lives overall. Uh, and so those are, those are a few areas today that we spend some time on the Hill trying to educate and advocate around, uh, and then do that alongside our competitors as well, so that we're all moving, moving the industry forward together in the same direction.
1: Well, Kyle, I wanted to ask you a corollary question to this. There's also a need for advocacy within patient communities. You can't have a patient-centered health system without the patient truly being engaged and understanding and literate about navigating the health system and understanding you know, how best to effectively extract value for themselves. And when patients hear that word value in terms of value-based care, you know, they don't understand what it means. I, I remember seeing a survey a couple of years ago. I think it was only 14% of patients surveyed could even explain the concept of value-based care. I mean, many, you know, hear the word value and they think Happy Meal or, you know, something like that, you know, they, they think, you know, cheaper is worse care and, you know, they take, you know, at face value, what the healthcare system is in terms of their own conditioning and don't really understand how it could be reimagined and be uh, made more effective and, and, and at a lower cost to them and their employer and, you know, the uh, other payers in the, in the landscape. And I just wanted to ask you just in terms of Value-based care leadership. You know, how do we bring patients into the movement towards value-based care to elicit their inputs and and include them in the redesign of care delivery as we know it for the future?
0: I'm surprised it's even 14. percent I would have thought it's even uh, even lower than that at all. Yeah, you know, I think it goes back to patient education overall. Right, we spend a lot of our a lot of time with our patient experience team trying to educate patients on you know, what our high-touch care management program is as an example, right? The first call that we have with uh, patients, most most patients believe that, you know, the nurse program that we'd enroll them in is going to cost something. They're very skeptical at the start of who's on the phone and why we're calling them and how we got their number and, you know, what what the the ultimate program means and most importantly, what the cost of that program is going to be. And so we spend a lot of time trying to educate patients on what that means, educate on what value-based care means. We're never calling as waldana well, We're always calling on, on behalf of the practice. And so that starts with physician education as well around the work that we're going to be doing, what our care planning means, You know, the fact that we're going to be an extension of their practice, not calling as, as waldana well, And so we think a lot about that in our CRM uh, workflows in terms of how we're doing outreach uh, and how to gain better traction and better, better education to get the patient to take the right next step right? And that's not only to get them enrolled. It's also on the clinical side of that as well, right? To win long-term in this industry, you're going to actually have to save money, right? You're going to have to actually uh, manage medical spend. better than others are, are managing medical spend. And to us, that comes down to uh, patient engagement, patient behavior, driving behavior change, and driving compliance with care plans that we're helping create. And all of that is is about educating the patient to help them to get to take the next next best step in their care journey.
1: Well, Kyle, I couldn't agree more with this premise of behavior change to drive value transformation in healthcare. I mean, it reminds me of that quote by Art Buckminster Fuller: "You never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, you have to build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete." I mean, that's the true definition of you know change management, and you know, and the patient is at the center of all that. I mean, we have to think about changing the paradigm of care delivery to elicit health and wellness outcomes at a population level through a more holistic relationship-based model of care. And I saw that Welvana co-founder Charlie Martin, he was quoted in an ACLM article that was entitled Building a Sustainable Economic Model for Lifestyle Medicine. And he was quoted as saying, the future of healthcare is not in hospital systems, it's outpatient primary care. The future of primary care is going to be lifestyle medicine. This concept of lifestyle medicine where providers use evidence-based lifestyle therapeutic interventions including whole food plant predominant eating patterns regular physical activity restorative sleep stress management avoidance of risky substances positive social connection all of that serves to prevent and treat and reverse chronic disease and that's a particular interest of mine and you know an area that we've covered on the podcast in the past and you know this is really an area that I think is key to unlocking success and value-based care. I mean, we've seen groups that are deploying lifestyle medicine that are producing demonstrably better outcomes than traditional healthcare programs. I mean, these include diabetic patients with lower A1Cs, reduced hypertension in a patient population, overall lower 30-day readmit rates, improved transplant eligibility so I wanted to see if you could provide your perspective on the future of lifestyle medicine and a value-based care model. I mean, how is Welvana moving high performers beyond fever service by helping them connect to the healthy outcomes of patients that are afforded by a, a lifestyle medicine type of model?
0: Yeah, no no doubt. I think it it connects back into you know, the overall problem that we have across the entire system, right? We don't, we don't have a, a care problem, right? We can get the best care, uh, in my belief, anywhere in the world. The problem that we have across the entire system is a health problem, right? It's, it's the rates of chronic diseases that we have and the prevalence of those. And so lifestyle medicine ties back into uh, really the health side of that equation, right? How are we making patients healthier on the front end rather than driving interventions on the back end when they need care or medication to take care of the ailment uh, effectively? And so that starts with focus on, on not only diet, but also the mental health side of that as well, right? It takes a holistic view around the, the health of the patient, which we think uh, you know has proven to drive incredible outcomes. And so we're actually in the process right now uh, of doing a clinical trial study on lifestyle medicine. Uh, and using uh, using patients and real uh, lifestyle medicine physicians to show the results of what it can do, and we hope over time that it can play a much bigger role in, in our model. And really thinking, how do we do that at scale? The hard part of that, even even you know knowing that it works well, as I said before, is driving behavior change with patients. That's not something that's going to happen overnight, right? To change the behavior of a, a physician in the way that they practice or in a patient that have you know, developed these habits over an entire lifetime. And we're trying to, to change it over a relatively small period of time in the, the big spectrum of that. And so it's going to take time. Uh, it's going to take a lot of persistence, a lot of engagement. And it's going to take time for us to continue to, to educate patients day in and day out. And so, you know, for us, that goes back to if we think about you know every aspect of the patient right uh, are they eligible for high touch care management if so let's get a care plan done and engage with them day in and day out to help drive compliance with that care plan right looking at medication reviews taking a a social approach to how we think about healthcare right it, it it's truly about the entire spectrum of what we offer to try and drive behavior change for those patients
1: well, Kyle, I also would love to get your take on the investment community in value-based care. I mean, there's so many opportunities for investment and in such a highly fragmented and uncoordinated industry. I mean, things like high-touch MSOs, population health enablement, provider aggregation models, consumer-driven healthcare services like outpatient behavioral health, and alternative sites of care like retail and telehealth and home care. And then, of course, we have the tech-based solutions that can drive digital transformation and care delivery and improve patient Experience And there's an immense investment opportunity, and we all see it with the wastefulness of the current system. I mean, companies that offer solutions that reduce health costs while improving user experience are attractive to investors, and we're seeing that in current investment trends. And while Vonna is part of that trend, I mean, investors are placing strategic bets on the future of your company to drive value-based care at scale. And your company's headquartered in Nashville, which is at the epicenter of the healthcare investment landscape. And while the town is traditionally known for building investor-owned hospitals, now it seems like the action may be pivoting to value. I mean, Martin Ventures, for example, has a robust portfolio of companies that are impacting healthcare transformation, which includes your company. And, you know, I saw so I wanted to ask you if you could provide our listeners with an update on the healthcare investment landscape. I mean, are we seeing a trend away from digital health maybe and more towards value-based care enablement models that provide scalable solutions for patient-centered care. I mean, what are your thoughts on on that?
0: Yeah, I think the you know, the market overall that we're in just has incredible tailwinds, right? It's a it's a massive market. It's highly fragmented. If you look at the biggest players across the space, it's low single digit of overall market share and so I think there's just incredible runway for for value-based care companies. And I think at the heart of that, at least in our view, the, the primary care physician needs to be at the center, right? The PCP needs to be the quarterback and ultimately own the risk through partners to help them own that risk. Uh, I think patients have incredible relationships with their primary care providers; they trust their provider, and so in our view, you know, pr- primary care providers need to be at the center of that. I think there's specialty models that can work very well uh, around that, and you're seeing some traction in that through the investment side, but you know, we're of the belief that primary care needs to remain at the, at the center of that and at the quarterback of that overall. You know, digital health will, will certainly play a role in that on the technology side, I think in particular around driving uh, interventions for patients, right? So how do we continue to drive the right intervention for the right patient at the right time and do that in a cost-effective and scalable way? I think there's a lot of, of AI models that'll play a big role uh, in that in, in the coming years. There's a lot of sort of technology workflows underlying that as well in terms of how do we engage with patients and drive the behavior change that we've been talking about here here today. So digital health, I think, will continue to be a good overall investment area to supplement what we're doing at the heart of, of value-based care and, and primary care physicians in particular. You know, I think, as you pointed out, Nashville, you know, I moved here now almost a decade ago. It's just an incredible community, right? The people here are incredible I think for what we do in, in healthcare, there is no better place in the entire world. There's over you know 400 healthcare companies now. All of that started obviously with the the origins of HCA going back to the, the 1960s, and it's it's truly a, you know the epicenter of, of what we do. You know, there's groups like the National Healthcare Council, uh, as a very good example, that are are you know truly trying to bring it all together and connect people. Uh, I think the one thing that makes it especially unique is the willingness of everyone to help each other. Right? I think it's incredibly rare when you find uh, competitors that exist within the same city that will go out of their way to help each other out. And I think we see that sort of day in and day out in Nashville, and it truly is just an incredible community here.
1: Well, Kyle, one other thing I wanted to ask you about also that's been in the news uh, recently is the ACO REACH program. CMS has a vision for increasing access to accountable care and bringing coordinated, high-quality care to patients – you know, with this new payment model. And it's the first model that has health equity embedded into the design of the model to expand the reach of ACOs and underserved communities and, and helping them scale successful features of model tests into uh, a permanent shared savings program. It's a model that's modeled after Medicare Advantage. Groups can take, you know, partial or global risk. It seems to uh, really be, a, I, I think, an inflection point for primary care providers to to achieve even greater successes in value based care and as i understand Wellvana is now participating in ACO reach could you provide our listeners with an update on the work that you're doing in reach and you know how you see that program as being positioned as a an accelerant for risk within the primary care community
0: absolutely so we think ACO reach overall uh, is a great program, right? I think Medicare has come out, right, and and talked about transitioning all payments tied to value by 2030. And I think what's proven over time is that fully capitated models, as I said before, are ones that work the best. And ACO Reach is an option for, you know, an alternative uh, for Medicare Advantage, for Medicare fee-for-service patients to participate in uh, a fully capitated model, right? And what that means for their primary care providers. Health equity is a very important component of that. Uh, it's a good reason why you know we we have social workers on the team that are focused on the social needs of what patients need that are going to drive better health outcomes, right? The the air conditioner unit that I talked about before is a very good uh, example of that. You know, the nurse that that helped a cancer patient find a home for their dog is another good another good example of that. So they could be in a skilled nursing facility. The water is another good story of that, right? So there's there's uh, social determinants that underlie our overall health outcomes. Uh, I think the the Reach program is putting a focus on that, but more importantly, it's enabling the transition into fully capitated models within healthcare, which have proven to work. And and overall, we think it's a great program.
1: Well, Kyle, as we wrap up our conversation today, I'd love to hear your perspective on the future of Wellvana. I mean, the company clearly has key. Differentiators and data driven technology, high touch human engagement. Your model is working. The savings rates are strong for your physician partners and improving patient outcomes and reducing inpatient and ER admissions across er- every market. I and mean, most importantly, As I hear from you, I mean, your physicians and the patients that they serve are, you know, are feeling heard, you know, they're seeing, they're valued. The company is, you know, through your partnerships are helping renew trust in in the healthcare system. So, you know, what is next for the company and how is it positioned for this future of value-based care? I mean, is this broader movement to value in our country moving at a pace that's congruent with the change that you want to make at a national level as you grow the company?
0: I think what's next is more of the same. So we've gone from you know uh, a few thousand lives under management to several hundred thousand uh, under management uh, in in full risk models over the past couple of years and uh, done it with very you know very good results and I, and I think we look for for more of the same. I think it starts with meeting providers where they want to be met. Uh, there is no one size fits all approach within healthcare. And so our physician alignment strategy is very flexible as a result of that. As I, as I said before we have a model that allows for uh, employment, if physicians want to go down that path. We've got large partnerships and and joint ventures. We've got uh, long-term management agreements. And in all those cases, we're wrapping it with an independent affiliated network through, you know, clinically integrated networks. And so I think the flexibility of our model is critical, Uh, you know, certainly on the technology side, continuing to invest in differentiated technology to drive uh, incredible results, but in our view, more important than that, it's all about a very high-touch model for patients and being an extension of the practice right across all of their health needs. So we continue to to see a massive opportunity in front of us. As I said, I think we're in the very, very early stages of adoption. Uh, fully capitated models is is very low penetrated in the big picture of our overall industry, uh, and we see an incredible future for for what we do and how we do it.
1: Well, Kyle, it seems like. In this journey to value-based care, this race to value—it's—it's it's not about speed. It's about forming strategic and transformative partnerships that pave the way for a healthier and more efficient healthcare system. And you know, for our listeners out there, some of them maybe they're healthcare executives or or primary care physicians as they're looking for for partners. Um, how can they find out more about Wellvana and uh, engage with the solutioning that your company provides?
0: yeah, I think our website would be a great place to 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 start uh, to learn more. and there's contact information there as well uh, where where they're able to reach out. but i I want to highlight one point in particular that you had mentioned as well, which I think is critical. You know in the transition, it's not necessarily about the speed, it's about the overall outcomes, right? and that that starts with identifying uh, the right partners uh, that are are right for fully capitated models today versus who's who's not right, right and and might need. Uh, a few years of, of transition. And so, although we we might work with uh, providers across all programs, could be a no downside risk program uh, for a year or two until we transition them into a fully capitated model, I think having the ability to uh, not only underwrite that on the front end, uh, but work with the providers for multiple years to transition them uh, is a critical point in what we do and in how we do it. I think others have gone wrong uh, before us, as as they've uh, you know built models in our, in our space, and that's that's something that we're trying to to do differently as well uh, to drive success in value-based care.
1: Well, Kyle, I commend you for this journey of success that you're on. I mean, it it goes unsaid. There's ups and downs. We talked about that earlier, but, you know, there's a story to be told here. And with Welvana, you know, that story is how you're connecting healthy outcomes of patients to driving healthier profitability and ultimately sustainability for health systems and uh, primary care physicians. Uh, I, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast this week. It's really been a pleasure to learn a little bit more about you and hear about all the great things happening at Wellvana.
0: Likewise, Eric, really enjoyed it. Thank you for having us.